0: It's a Jackalope Carnival! Jackalope, Jackalope Carnival!
1: Hi, I'm Becca.
0: Hi, I'm Eric.
1: And you're listening to Season 2, Episode 11 of Jackalope Carnival, a sideshow of stories a bi-weekly podcast where we explore the paranormal, the unusual, and the downright odd. Eric, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing just fine, and you?
1: I cannot complain. I'm ready to spin some tails and jump right into another episode. But before we get started, as we're you know just one more episode after this away from ending our season, I just wanted to thank our longtime listeners for their time and attention. We appreciate each and every one of you. I think Eric would agree with me on that one. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yes, most definitely. Most definitely. And did you know we got our first piece of fan art?
1: No, I didn't.
0: Yes. He doesn't
1: share these things with me. I haven't seen it, but I'm imagining it's amazing.
0: It's going to be, I mean, when we get the new, you know, we have plans, we have plans. Oh, do we have plans, but someday we'll post it um, and you'll be able to see it.
1: Or you could send it to me and I can post it on our Instagram.
0: I think that's what we'll At
1: have. Jackalope Carnival. Instagram, at Jackalope Carnival.
0: It's true. Um, um, so this is, this is from a, a little bit back, but it was sent to us by uh, Mariana in Virginia, and it is her artistic interpretation of a haunted Arby's.
1: Oh, amazing! I cannot wait to see that. Thank you, Mariana.
0: Indeed, indeed. So, um, yeah, thank you to all of uh, all of our fans out there. We uh, we appreciate you, <laughs> listeners. You're awesome.
1: We do, and I have a little ask. I just ask a favor from you that if you would help us to grow as we're growing and we're going to be starting to plan for some new things by just telling a friend about us. And in turn, if you have a creative endeavor you'd like us to mention or fan art you'd like us to share, let us know. We're happy to find new and interesting art, music, games, writing, et cetera, and we'll give you a shout out on the show. And That's a pretty, I feel like, simple ask. I agree. So... As we mentioned, here at Jackalope Carnival, we talk about oddities, the paranormal, cryptids, and weird history. And you've probably heard me say, for those who've listened, I like to say that those things come down to belief. Whether that's belief in the supernatural or belief in yourself, even if that belief is exaggerated, I'm looking at you, Alfred Packer, (laughs) to get that reference. Go back, last season.
0: (laughs) A year ago.
1: Yeah. It was our Thanksgiving episode a year ago. And today's first story is going to be about a mystery that has a lot of different beliefs attached to it. And we're going to do something a little bit different. So don't think of today as you're listening to a podcast. You're listening to an audio adventure. (laughs) Eric's rolling his eyes.
0: I (laughs) loved Choose Your Own Adventure books when I was a kid. Didn't you? I was an avid collector of them.
1: And in celebration of Eric, his love of choose your own adventure, he's writing our very own Jackalope Carnival Choose Your Own Adventure, which should be available uh, when Eric. Well, (laughs) maybe next next year.
0: Yes, we're hoping to drop it early in twenty twenty two.
1: My hope is maybe for Saint Cyril and Methodius slash Valentine's Day.
0: Yes, absolutely. Although I don't think we will. Yeah, I don't think we'll have a Cyrillic edition, though. Although you never know.
1: Yeah, what better way to express one's love and devotion or pierogies than with a jackalope carnival choose your own adventure?
0: So so we'll make that our target. But choose your own adventures were awesome. Let me talk about this for a second, because I'm not sure that everybody who listens is a Gen Xer. So I think this is pretty much something that was uh, popular in our generation. They're really they're around. You can find them.
1: I would say like probably some boomers and some millennials as well.
0: These were game books. You basically bought these little tiny books. They were the staple of the book fair that would arrive at your elementary school and or the uh, the mail order books you could sometimes get if you got those at elementary school Oh, well. the
1: The book fair had that Christmassy feeling. Oh, my goodness. The excitement.
0: So much fun. And there were these books, though. They were uh, written in the second person. And so you, it was like, you go to a carnival and you do this, you know, and you had at the end of the page or the end of a couple pages, there'd be a couple choices. And you could, if you decide to go on the Ferris wheel, turn to page seven, or if you decide to go into the fun house, you know, turn to page 25 and you would do that through, through the whole book. So you'd be flipping back and forth to follow whatever thread of the story you chose. And these, these kind of books, Choose Your Own Adventure was, was a brand name. There were other versions that did similar things, these kind of game book things. And I loved every single one of them. And I was an avid collector of them. And as a matter of fact, I even went back and bought some of the ones I really liked as, as a kid recently to reread them, mostly to prepare for us writing this this book we're going to be releasing next year, but just for fun too. And they really are as much fun as I remember them being.
1: Well, and they've paid tribute. Why well, I say I know millennials because they've paid tribute to this with an episode of Black Mirror where you can actually go and make the choices and they have the technology to make it so you can make those choices. They've done an episode of Kimmy Schmidt where you can do the same thing. So it's really kind of cool. We don't have that technology. <laughs> <laughs> so we're I will have be doing the
0: choosing. <laughs> That's right.
1: We're going to have to choose a champion and Eric's proximity to the microphone <laughs> makes him your choice. <laughs>
0: So, are we playing so, Becca's Choose Your Own Adventure story?
1: Dun da da da. Um, so, Eric's our champion for this one, and uh, so sit back and get ready as we approach this episode, um, this audio adventure uh, in the vein of Choose Your Own Adventure novels. Are you ready, Eric?
0: I'm ready. What's our adventure okay. called today?
1: Well, it's called In Search of the Moon-eyed People. Mm. You're visiting the Appalachian Mountains of the Eastern United States. You spent days enjoying hiking and visiting the many spectacular waterfalls the area has to offer. But now you find yourself heading to the little town of Murphy in Cherokee County, North Carolina. You wanted to see the 300 foot wide 10 commandments and tiny biblical village diorama at Field of the Woods. You rightly think that dioramas are a lost art. You're also curious about Ye Olde Goat Farm and Shaka Alpacas, which will only now be referred to as Shaka When the Walls Fell Alpacas. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if y'all get that reference, uh, send me an at. You're in the ancient homelands of the Cherokee people. While there still are a group in North Carolina known as the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, you're aware that in 1838, a majority was rounded up by the United States government under great duress and forced to march west along with other nations under the Indian Removal Act that was signed into law by Andrew Jackson in 1830. 4,000 Cherokee died on the trail. Thinking of this, you mutter, F you, Andrew Jackson, as is only appropriate. You decide you're now in the mood for history and look for a museum. You're pretty close to the Cherokee County Historical Museum, and so you mosey on up. I want everyone to practice their moseys.
0: I am moseying as we speak.
1: Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. In front, there's a large and heavily damaged soapstone turtle with the words, "Nuya Saligugi, and it says in parentheses, Cherokee for stone turtle. And then the you read, it says, carved and left by ancient man in a soapstone quarry near Nodley River, four miles west of Murphy, moved here for protection and study. Interesting. You walk into the museum and find it crowded with artifacts of the past. You're greeted by a friendly-looking woman with a gentle Appalachian accent. She tells you to find her if you have any questions. You exchange pleasantries and get to exploring. You're amazed by all the stuff. Cases with photos, muskets, horns, powder pouches for gunpowder, medicine bottles, tools, photos, coins, ephemera. You're getting a little overwhelmed. You slowly browse each case, hoping not to miss anything interesting. Reading what you can and finding out more about the history. As you're slowly browsing, you turn a corner. You gasp. Dolls. Hundreds of them stare at you with vacant eyes. They seem to follow you. You shift position Their eyes are definitely following you. One doll, smaller than the rest, has very pale skin and the lightest eyes. You shiver. Did she blink? Is she moving? So, adventurers, do you run downstairs far away from the dolls? Or stay and investigate and maybe get eaten?
0: Of course I'm running away. This is insane.
1: Okay, you're a rational person, so you... Book it. Trying to escape the cursed dolls, you scurry downstairs to a floor filled with Native American artifacts, baskets, arrowheads, and textiles. As you wander through each, slowly looking at all of the different artifacts, you come across a three-foot-tall sculpture of what looks like conjoined twins. No worries about eyes following you with these guys as their flatly carved faces only have hollowed out holes for eyes. Ah. (laughs) they're bald and crudely formed a table next to the statue seems to have more information. You read that this statue was found only three years after the removal on a farm snatched up after the government made Cherokee land available for white Americans. The statue was found while the new farmer was digging up land at the confines of the Ho'ahawasee. And Valley Rivers. A local historian believes that the conjoined twins were there to mark the two rivers as they come together where were the rivers do. So basically, he's saying they come together where the rivers would have come together. That's where these twins conjoin. Hmm. This crudely carved soapstone statue is thought to be of the Moon-Eyed people, a race of short, hairy, kind of bearded white people that supposedly lived in the region before the Cherokee. They were called Moon-Eyed because they have round, light eyes that are sensitive to sunlight, and therefore they only come out at night. They were thought to have been mound and wall builders whose range went from Georgia up through West Virginia, always West Virginia, until the Cherokee drove them out. They moved on and built their mounds westward. This is all according to a Cherokee legend, so the info says. You're fascinated. You want more info. This is pretty mysterious. Do you stay with the mysterious twins and Google more information? Or do you head back to the thousand dolly eyes watching you and ask for help?
0: So can I ask a a question? Yes. Are we sure the moon eyed people aren't actually sandhill cranes?
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know. We have to investigate.
0: Fair enough. Well, then I'm going to stay and investigate because I need to know that.
1: Okay. So you're not quite ready to confront the wall of dolls. You decide to hang out for a while and you pull out your phone. You do a quick search for moon eyed people and gasp. There's a lot of info out there. This is truly a mystery worth your time. You click on a website that seems like it might be interesting. NorthCarolinaGhosts.com. Sounds like your speed. The info is pretty similar to what you've read here. They do mention some supernatural groups that the Cherokee had in their cosmology, and for those, they use Cherokee names. You notice the Moon-Eyed people don't have a Cherokee name, which seems a little bit odd to you. You know a little bit about Cherokee history, as your great-great-grandmother was, just kidding, you've been traveling around the Appalachians going to museums and reading about people. Even if you believed in unsupported family legend, you understand that the Cherokee people are sovereign nations, and as such, it's up to them to decide who are tribal members. You support the three federally recognized Cherokee nations by learning new words in their language and supporting Indigenous artists, but you'd never try to force a seat at the table. As you read on, North Carolina Ghosts has something interesting. You read this, and it says, and I quote, Perhaps the most famous structure associated with the Moon-Eyed people is just over the North Carolina border in Georgia at Fort Mountain. Now a state park, Fort Mountain gets its name from the 850-foot-long stone wall that varies in height from two to six feet and stretches along the top of the ridge. This stone wall is thought to have been constructed around 400 to 500 C.E., According to one Cherokee legend, this wall is a remnant of the war that the Moon-Eyed people fought and lost against the neighboring Creek nation. Muskogee, you mutter, and keep reading. The Creeks, Muskogee, drove the Moon-Eyed people from their homeland during the full moon, which even the pale light of is blinding to these nocturnal people. You think for a minute. Wait, so who banished them? Where did these people come from? you keep reading and find something even stranger. Because of the description of the Moon-Eyed people is that they're pale skin and bearded, this has led to some amount of speculation that the Moon-Eyed people represents a Cherokee folk memory of contact with a group of European settlers who made it to the New World before Columbus. Particularly, the Cherokee legend of the Moon-Eyed people has been matched up with the Welsh legend of Prince Maddock? What? Welsh, you need to go to Georgia, but going upstairs means passing the dolls. (laughs) Do you stay down here a while or do you face your fears?
0: You know, sooner or later, I got to face this fear. I'm heading back in.
1: I know you have a fear of dolls somewhat, so I'm sorry you have to do this, Eric, but we've chosen a good champion moving on. You notice some strange rock crosses called fairy tears. You make a note to research them another day and head upstairs. You pass the doll wall. You try to move, but are frozen. The small pale doll now looks a bit familiar. Does her face seem a little flat? You try to scurry past, but seem to be moving in slow motion. You think the doll's eyes definitely blinked this time. Is her pale, crudely crafted mouth trying to say something you hear a whisper do you listen or yell for help
0: Uh, i'm going to listen to the doll
1: you listen to a doll you must be losing your mind you strain closer the voice becomes clearer and you hear a laugh frightened you gasp it's not the doll at all but a lady from earlier the nice lady says, "Yeah, that's a creepy one. Seems to get people's attention, though. Did you have something you wanted more information on?" <laughs> you sigh with relief. You're like, "What? What do I do now?"
0: <laughs> yeah, do I have choices?
1: You did. You, I'm at a moon pass. Stay.
0: Oh no, <laughs> I'm stuck in a dollhouse with the creepy lady. Who if this she, if this she's... were a Scooby Doo episode, she would totally be it.
1: <laughs> she why is she creepy
0: in my mind she is she's hanging out with moon-eyed <laughs> dolls she's she would have gotten away with a two of a one for this meddling kid
1: you sigh with relief when you realize it's just the lady and not the doll talking you're still shaky <laughs> but you tell her yes i'd like more info on the moon-eyed people are there any books or texts i can look up <laughs> Well, she says, the first recorded version of the story was in 1797 by Benjamin Smith Barton. I think you can get it online. They have Wi-Fi at the casino and you can stop and get a snack, too. You're looking a little pale and shaky. Thanking her, you go to look up this Barton fellow. Do you stay and talk to her a little more or you think you do need a snack and head to the casino?
0: I've had enough of this. I'm out of here. I'm not really a casino guy, but I've had my fill of this doll nonsense.
1: <laughs> Good. Okay. Settled in and snacking on a muffin safely in the casino, you start your search. It seems Barton was the first to write this story down, and he wrote it in his book, New Views of the Origin of the Tribes and Nations of America, and it's published in 1797. You find a free version. It's uploaded from a very old copy. Man, that's some weird print, you say. Did all S's look like F's? It takes you a minute, but you start to get used to the odd writing. Barton writes, The Cherokee tell us that when they first arrived in the country which they inhabit, they found it possessed by certain moon-eyed people who could not see in the daytime. These wretches they expelled. This curious fact was communicated to me by Colonel Leonard Mabry, a very intelligent gentleman who has put me in possession of a much important information concerning the Southern Indians. Possibly the Moon-Eyed people driven away by the Cherokee were ancestors of the albinos who inhabited the Isthmus of Darien, Panama, you reply, and of whom Lionel Wafer has given us account. Be this as it may, it's certain that the albino variety of mankind is continued often for a long time. Huh. Okay. Albinism the heck
0: have I gotten myself into.
1: <laughs> That's exactly what you say. Albinism? That's his answer? You shake your head. <laughs> but then you think about it. Barton was a doctor, so it makes sense that he interprets the story that way. And Lionel Wafer did discover a high rate of albinism in the indigenous peoples of Panama. So, hmm, but that's not very juicy and definitely not what's driving the majority of answers online of the origins of these people. You start to look up a little more about the legend. As usual, when looking up Cherokee stories, you find James Mooney. Mooney was an anthropologist and ethnographer who studied the Cherokee people and wrote extensively on them. As to the validity of his writing, um, there are mixed ideas, but he was definitely prolific. The Cherokee themselves were highly literate during his lifetime. Um, so Mooney's 1861 through 1921. So scholars can sometimes cross-reference what he says. So there's a way to sort of legitimate some of what he's saying sometimes. Maybe Mooney has something to say on this subject, you think? And he does but it's not much. And it's really not anything new. He writes of a, quote, dim, but persistent tradition of white people that preceded the Cherokee and the Appalachians. And then he goes on to quote Benjamin Smith Barton. Could these white-skinned people that they're talking of be supernatural? Maybe they were like really white. That's what it seems to say somewhere on some parts of the internet. So, do you look into the supernatural angle or keep looking at references?
0: um you know what I'm going to pick here
1: citations okay'll <laughs> <We'll> look into <laughs> We'll look into the supernatural angle
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly we we all know that this was this was.
1: You know that you should follow the chain of citations, but that excitement you feel isn't the coffee you're drinking. It's the thought that this could be ghosts or better, aliens. You have time before bed and your trip to Georgia tomorrow, so you decide to look up aliens. As you begin your search, you notice a man's been looking over your shoulder. You look at him. Aliens, huh? He says. Why are you looking at that? You ask him if he's ever heard of the Moon-Eyed People. Yeah, for sure, he says, removing his earbuds. You think you hear the faint strains of Taylor Swift. Uh, Why do you think I'm here? I heard they were here first. See, I got a book off Amazon called Nordic Aliens and the Moon-Eyed People. It's by Lars Bergen. Oh. You say, thinking you understand. Like the claim that the Vikings were the first Europeans to cross into the Americas. I believe there's been some pretty good archaeological evidence discovered in Newfoundland. And no, he replies, cutting you off, real aliens. It's nonfiction. Oh. Do you roll your eyes and excuse yourself as any normal person would at this point, or say, why the heck not, and buckle in for the long ride?
0: Come on, Mac. Lay it on me.
1: You stay. You take a gulp of your coffee. This might be a long conversation. Name's Mac, he says. Pleased to meet you. So, how does this Lars know about ancient aliens, you ask? Well, see, Mac says. Lars is not like you and me. Lars is a spirit, or maybe an alien himself. He channels this through a woman called Sharon Della Rose. She writes about ancient aliens and Nordic aliens because we know that they're really the ones behind the Celtic gods and the Bible and really all of civilization. Wait, you say. You don't think people could have managed civilization on their own? Nah, it was aliens. Those moon-eyed people who gave the Cherokee such a complicated civilization. I hear they even inspire today's music, like Taylor Swift, which is why she's so prophetic. Ugh you shake your head. You've heard enough. Great talking to you, Mac, you say, but I need to get to bed. Big day tomorrow. You go to your room and revisit Mooney. He extensively quotes John Haywood, a name you recognize from all the traveling you've been doing around North Carolina. He was an NC judge who you learned was also once attorney general and also a historian. You'd look for the book that Mooney is quoting. It's called The Natural and Aboriginal History of Tennessee, up to the first settlements therein by white people in the year of 1768. You shake your head. You can't make this stuff up. In his book, Haywood too mentions the white people encountered by the Cherokee and references them. Quote: The Cherokee found white people near the head of the little Tennessee. This passage Mooney is citing when he gives the Haywood reference for Moon-Eyed people, but Haywood also uses white people to mean Europeans, so we have no reason to believe that the Moon-Eyed people were actually supernatural in any way. Um, This contradicts some of what you've already read claiming that white skin was, in fact, aliens or ghosts or supernatural. So this seems to put that to rest, Um, not only Lars and Lars's strange, shadowy specter that has this claim. So, looks like it's not aliens, Mac, you say as you shut off your phone and go to sleep. You don't dream, luckily, because there'd be some weird ones. (laughs) You wake refreshed, ready, and like the devil to head down to Georgia. The drive is beautiful and not much more than an hour. You're excited when you get to the park. You've heard a few theories of these moon eyed folks, but nothing seems to be from the Cherokee themselves. You hope the folks at Fort Mountain State Park can help. So do you want to go to the visitor center or do you want to take a hike first? And talk to someone, the visitor center or go take a hike.
0: Well, I think I want to get to the bottom of this. So I'm going to go talk to people at the visitor center.
1: All right, you approach the visitor center and find a ranger. You ask him a little about the history of the park, hoping you won't have to be the one to bring up the moon eyed people. After Mac, you've learned your lesson. He tells you that a lot of the features in the park were built by the CCC, or Civilian Conservation Corps, which operated during America's Great Depression to build infrastructure and create jobs. He tells you more about the trails, the fire tower, and the wildlife. You listen interested, but you may have to bring up these moon-eyed people yourself. Trying to avoid it, you say, "Mm hmm... But what about those rock walls, those 850 foot long rock walls? Pretty mysterious, right? He looks at you and sighs and says, well, there's some theories on that. Really? You ask innocently. What are some of those theories? Well, he says some people think that the indigenous folks in the area built them as protection and defense. (laughs) He's playing with you. Anything else, you ask, wondering again if there might be some Cherokee sources even? (sighs) You want to know about the Moon-Eyed people, don't you? Yes, you say sheepishly, and he tells you the tale you've heard before. No more, no less. Any idea who these folks were, you ask? I'll be honest, he says. I've heard a lot of theories, but a lot of folks seem to think that they were the descendants of Welsh explorers. A Welsh prince, Prince Madoc, was said to have left Britain in the 12th century and landed in Mobile, Alabama. Legend says that he and his people were stranded in the Americas and the Moon-Eyed people were their descendants. Some accounts talk about them speaking Welsh. As a matter of a fact, the idea of Welsh Indians was real popular in the 18th and 19th century, so much so that in 1804, Thomas Jefferson writes a letter to Meriwether Lewis of the Lewis and Clark Expedition. You heard of them? To search for the Welsh Indians. I quote, said to be up the Missouri. Some say they were the Mandan. Wait, they think the Mandan were mysterious and welsh they were and are definitely indigenous and not welsh at all he nods his head why would it be welsh you ask well he answers there's no evidence of maddock actually being a person Um, but the person they say is his father was but again maddock seems to be more or less made up But if you had Welsh folks claiming, he said with his fingers in quotes over the word claiming, the land in the 12th century, that predates Spanish claim and means it was the British who had the claim. It also probably made folks feel less guilty about the removal, as if the Cherokee or Muscogee pushed them off then the land had been conquered before. Interesting, you say. You have a lot to think about. The moon-eyed people certainly seem to be a strange mystery, whether the answers be supernatural, medical, or colonial. You thank him and go find a trail. You'll definitely need to clear your head before you investigate the Mormons and their religious answer to the mysterious folk. Or maybe you'll just leave it at that, just another odd mystery. You decide. Dun dun dun
0: The end.
1: So thank you all for listening to this. Um, I want to put a little disclaimer on this one before we go any further is that I am a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. So I am enrolled. I... Have somebody be like, well, wait, you were talking about your grandmother from Italy. So that's on my mother's side is Italian. My father's side is Cherokee Nation. So I am enrolled in Cherokee Nation. This does not give me more authority on this subject than anyone else. So I just want to say that there are 300,000 Cherokee Nation citizens, and they have different opinions, just like citizens of a state or a country. I just want to make that little disclaimer. Um, I didn't embellish too much on this story. Most of what we talked about is the references for it. Uh, maybe not prophetic dreams of Taylor Swift. Okay. Maybe I embellished there, <laughs> but Wait, I, really? I hope <laughs> what? No. Eric's like, that was the thing I thought was real.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I hear I am trying to figure out how to play a Taylor Swift song backwards. I'm I know look, I'm looking for secret messages.
1: They're there. Just listen. Mm. Um, I just want to thank you for listening, and that's all I have for today.
0: As a special bonus, there is a shorter True Junior Adventure story coming your way as well. Um, this one is called Search for the Menahune. Becca, will you be the champion of this story?
1: I'd be honored.
0: Wonderful. What a surprise! What a surprise! <laughs> you are the closest person to a microphone right now in my earshot. So here we go. Search for the Menhune. You are at a resort in Hawaii taking a well-deserved vacation. Suddenly, a very excited child runs up to you, trying to get your attention. It's your niece. She says she saw a little magical elf-like person. What do you do?
1: Well, it totally sounds like my niece, any of them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you, Becca, decide to figure out what this excited child is going on about? Or do you just tell her to come back later and continue reading what you're getting into?
1: I'm going to ask my niece what's going on.
0: Excitedly, she bounds forward, grabbing you by the hand and tugging you down a pathway. You find yourself suddenly in the presence of a small ceramic statue of a smiling person. It really doesn't look like a garden gnome that you would have seen back home. It's small, for sure. Smiling and happy, yes. But it has a title underneath it, menahune. You take pleasure in your niece's little joke and you go back to your book. Upon returning to where you were sitting by the beach, you notice there is a wicker bamboo thread and stone, almost like a tile sculpture at your feet. It's glowing. Do you pick it up or do you go look for a daiquiri?
1: I'm going to pick it up.
0: Suddenly you hear a whooshing sound, and you find yourself in a canoe. Not a tiny little aluminum canoe, but rather a very large wooden canoe. It looked like it was carved out of a single tree. There's another canoe tied to it, so it makes almost like a catamaran. There's a single sail. But instead of sailing on waves, you are sailing in a dark sky. The stars are so thick.
1: Well, they- that's startling.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Oh, absolutely. Oh, just you wait. The stars are so thick they make waves. There's whooshing sounds all around you as you travel. You look down at the bamboo and stone sculpture in your hand, and it seems to point in four different directions. You can go forward, to the right, to the left, or behind you. You find that you are able to steer the boat with a single oar out the back. Which way do you steer your boat, Becca?
1: Well, if I would have known that I was going to end up in a boat, I would have taken the other adventure because I just recently had a kayaking accident and a few weeks, <laughs> a few months ago where I fell out of one. I don't know. I'm pretty nervous. Yeah, I go. You
0: don't want to fall I out go, of this one.
1: I go forward.
0: Suddenly you find yourself on a clear blue ocean. Up ahead, you find a beach. Almost without any effort, the canoe (laughs) pulls itself up onto the beach. And you make your way ashore. You explore just for a few, maybe half a mile. And you see a small village. There are people walking all around. And everybody seems pretty calm. You notice there are no power lines. There are no electric lights. Come to think of it, you don't see any litter on the ground. No soda cans, no wrappers. You must have traveled not just in space, but in time.
1: Did I go through one of those wormholes? The way way one does.
0: Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That appears to be what happened. I shake
1: my fist and say, Eric.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know I'm behind this. Yes. Yes. And you're probably worried about the language barrier, aren't you? Well, don't yeah. be. Because you managed to carry your bamboo and stone sculpture with you. And as you approach the people, some of the stones that are tied to the sculpture begin glittering. And you realize that the people you're talking to are speaking perfect English. Actually, you're speaking proto Hawaiian, And the magic stones are facilitating this.
1: So it's totally a universal translator like in Star Trek.
0: It's a it's a rebelib, in case I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. But yes, it, it does things that are very convenient for the story. Um, so we're going to go with that. Proto-Hawaiian. The folks there take you on a tour of the island. They show you rock walls with intricately carved stones. They show you a irrigation ditch leading down into the valley. And when you ask... Who made all of this, thinking that they will point you in the direction of a local stone carver? They merely say, it was the Manahune. You ask who the Manahune were, and they tell you, the people who were here before. You spend a wonderful afternoon, have a great meal, a little bit of kava, and soon you are back in your canoe, hoping to find your way back home. You enter your canoe and push off. Holding on to the bamboo and stone sculpture in your hand, the whooshing sound is heard again and you are back into your sea of stars. You know which way forward goes. Do you want to go to your left, to your right, or back to where you came from? Right. You go to your right. Suddenly, you find your canoe once again back on an ocean. But this time, you are decidedly in a Post industrial era. There are cars, there are highways, there are electric lights. You pull your canoe ashore. You find that you are right outside of a community center and historical society. You walk into the Kauai Historical Society and you hear a lecture given by Alitha Ka'oi. She states that indeed there were manahune, but According to her, in her theory, the Menahune were people who were of Polynesian origin who arrived a little before the later Polynesians. And indeed, the stories about the Menahune are actually history about two different waves of settlement in the Hawaiian Islands. Soon you find yourself back in your canoe and you are pushing off once again, back this time knowing where the canoe goes. Um, You find yourself back into your sea of stars. Do you go to your left or do you have enough of this and decide to go back? I mean, heck, you could end up lost in the stars, Becca. Just saying.
1: It's been an adventure, but um, I have a little bit of an aversion to watercrafts at the moment until I get some more lessons. So I'm going to go back.
0: Luckily, your canoe then pulls up exactly where you left. You find that your book is still waiting for you and the Manahune statue still hidden in the garden. You decide to go seek out the origin of this Manahune business. Turns out, the idea of the manahune not the stories about people who built things, but rather about that are supernaturally strong, that seem to only come out at night and never during the daylight, and be downright magical, are pretty new. But, like you were saying about the Cherokee stories, there's not just one adventure to choose, and there are multiple different stories that can be told about the manahune. The End
1: It's really interesting. Yeah, I think that that it's interesting too because I feel like with the Cherokee stories there were a lot of different answers that sort of blended some of them together. Mm-hmm. So they were referring to the Moon-eyed people as the little people, but Cherokee stories of little people and and this this story of the Moon-eyed people don't really go together. Right? They seem to not fit. So I just thought that was really interesting.
0: And the difference. So when I was doing my my writing, doing my research about the Menahune, one of the things that I did notice is that we're talking about a piece of living Hawaiian culture that it sounds like the moon eyed people story is like you were saying it's contested seems a little well, controversial
1: yeah. yeah he said it's dim but persistent so it's like was that a, a you know something throughout the tribe was it one family was it one guy i don't really know was it Cherokee at all like i just don't think you can know whereas this obviously has a place in Hawaii right now
0: it does And in fact, there's even today, uh, one of the things that I really, really liked when I was researching this is I was looking at videos online of people's modern day stories about the Menehune. And they seemed awfully earnest when they were looking into the camera and relaying their stories. Now, I don't know if they were just telling a, an interesting story, if they were relaying something that, you know, they actually experienced, um, I didn't have that context. But it did seem like the stories were very much culturally alive, that these are something that people still talk about, either as folklore or as some experience they had. I can't tell. But it's something that's very much a part, like you were saying, of Hawaiian culture.
1: Yeah, and with the with Moon-Eyed people, like I don't think there's any modern... Anything with them. But also, I don't really have any idea where there doesn't seem to be, it seems to be more important that they were there first rather than what happened to them and where they went. Mm -hmm. And it really seemed to be the focus of the story was like that they were there rather than where they went to. They were driven off, but where? In the sky? Maybe Lars has that answer
0: for me. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. This is is the last postscript on the Manahune story. And again, it's a point of comparison. Much more recently, in the 19th century, there was a census done of the Hawaiian island chain. And Kauai, where a lot of the Manahune stories come from, which is one of the westernmost islands, actually had people who called themselves Manahune as their ethnic group. And this is in the 19th century, so this is relatively recently, historically speaking. So obviously, the word Manahune seemed to mean a certain ethnic group, at least according to this census. So that's another clue, and I I don't exactly know what to do with that either. But if you go to Hawaii today, you can find kind of cute little Manahune statues if you want to. And I don't know, maybe if you ask around, uh, folks might tell you a story or two.
1: Well, thank you for listening to our story or two today. Um, we really appreciate you being willing to go along with us on trying something new, on a little bit of an experiment. And um, again, we appreciate you listening. Until next time, take care, folks. Wado.
0: jackalope carnival jangly harnesses
1: season 2 episode 11
0: alright five Pepper, baby,
1: buggy bumpers I'm ready
0: <laughs> teeth of the tip the tongue the nose All right, ready 5 4 3